Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Excited to be sharing the word with you tonight, and I would love to share uh, with you out of the scripture tonight. If you could turn with me to Leviticus chapter 34 and verse 9, we're going to be reading about the ceremonial laws tonight. I'm just joking, we're turning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, obviously, it's the day of Pentecost. Pastor Corey was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe. We let Layla loose on the platform tonight. Basics, you got to preach from Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 on Pentecost Sunday. Oh, my gosh. The whole exec team just had a heart attack. <laughs> They're like, oh, gosh, here we go. Now, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. We're going to be reading to verse 21 tonight. So I'm practically reading the entire Bible to you tonight. But how many know that anything God has to say is better than anything I have to say tonight? And so we're going to get into the Word. We're going to let God speak. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear Each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Someone say amen. Amen, amen. amen. Awesome. I wonder, 
If you can remember the first time that you ever encountered the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Give me a wave if you can remember that day. Well, for me, uh, back in 1995, my parents got radically saved in a little town called Palmerston, North New Zealand. I was born in England to a Persian father, Irish mother, and we moved to New Zealand when I was two years old. When I was five years old in Palmerston, North New Zealand, my parents got radically saved. I'll share more about that story later. But in just one moment of time, my household turned into a hyper-Pentecostal 90s household. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should be thankful that you are unaware of what happened back then. Um, But we were a hyper-Pentecostal household. I remember my mum had a King James Bible big enough to choke a horse. Um, Pastor Raph, I think, has that same Bible. Um, It's here tonight. It's my mum's Bible. He stole it from her for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, But she had this King James Bible to choke a horse and she was obsessed with Benny Hinn's TV show, This Is Your Day. I don't know if anyone remembers that show, but 24-7 on our old 90s um, style TV we had in our living room, you know, the type that you didn't have a remote control for, but the type that you had to like click the channel, you had antenna going up everywhere. On that 90s-style TV, TV mum would play um, pre-recorded episodes of Benny Hinn's TV show, This Is Your Day, 24-7 in our household. 24-7, we had Benny Hinn saying, come here, I tell you, lift your, lift your hands to the Lord. You know, I'm going to pray for you. Pick them up, pick them up, you know. They're slaying, they're falling on the ground, and he's picking them up, and people are miraculously healed. And we had a rule in our household, Right? We had a rule that every time that Benny Hinn is praying on the TV screen, that everything needs to stop, right? You stop playing, you stop eating, you stop talking, and you go to the TV, and we would go to the TV, and mum would kneel on the ground before the TV, and she would put her hands on the TV screen, and we, my brother and sister and I, would have to put our hands on the TV screen, and as we were putting our hands on the TV screen, we would pray with Benny Hinn. And so we would sort of be praying with one eye open, just seeing to check if the other siblings were getting into it or not, like mocking each other as we're praying. But this would happen every time that Benny Hinn would pray on the TV show. And so one day, just as my mum was making dinner, I found myself in the living room watching Benny Hinn talk about being baptised in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I was six years old and I was so engrossed in this conversation about something that I didn't really know much about. And so I started to listen to what they were talking about as they were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And it came to the end of the message and Benny Hinn said, hey, I just want you to reach out your hands and pray and we're going to pray for you today that you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So I was like, okay, no worries. The rule in our house is that every time Benny Hinn is praying, we have to go to the TV screen, put our hands on the screen and pray with Benny Hinn, amen. And so we went to the TV screen. I was by myself. I went to the TV screen, stretched out my hand. And as I stretched out my hand, as a little six-year-old kid, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit came upon me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit started to change me and I began to speak in tongues with Benny Hinn on the TV screen in Palmerston North, New Zealand. 
From that moment forward, everything changed in my life. I had an awareness of the power and presence of God in my life like I had never known before. I had a deep intimacy with God all throughout my childhood up until this day because of that encounter that happened with Benny Hinn on This Is Your Day in Palmerston North, New Zealand. I remember multiple occasions where I would encounter the power of the Holy Spirit in my youth ministry, in my church on Sunday nights. I would come to Sunday night church and they would do an altar call. They would pray for us. I remember being prayed for and the fire of God would come upon me and I'd be on the ground for many hours after the services as the power of God just came upon me and encountered me in a very real way. Now, Hotmail addresses or email addresses that you made when you were a teenager really bear your whole soul, right? The name of your Hotmail address or email address. You know, I'm looking at you, horse girl 1999, you know. <laughs> the name of my email address that I made when I was a teenager, are you ready for it? Was Pentecostal underscore epidemic at hotmail.com. Oh my gosh, Pentecostal epidemic at hotmail.com. I was a very Pentecostal teenager and I got radically set on fire at conferences and at church and at youth. I remember one time I was so set on fire that I got back to my school. I went to a non-Christian school in Geelong in Victoria and as I went back to my school, I felt the Lord stirring me to start up a Christian group at lunchtime at my school. Now, at the time, all of the youth ministries around Australia were calling themselves Boom, something like Boom. So I had a brainwave. I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call my lunchtime Christian group Detonate, right? Detonate. It's like, because the Holy Spirit's going to come and blow this place up. Amen. Amen. Now, that would be okay for any white Australian kid to call their Christian group Detonate. But when you're half Iranian and half Irish and you want to call a religious group detonate, it's definitely going to turn some heads, right? <laughs> so I remember I was none the wiser. I was like, I'm starting my, really, my, you know, my Christian group detonate. It's going to be awesome. Holy Spirit's going to come blow this place up. I get called into the principal's office. And he's like, Layla, I'm just wondering, um, can you just tell me uh, about the nature of this, uh, this religious group that you're starting called uh, Detonate? <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come blow this place up. He was like, okay. <laughs> but I've been making myself look like a fool for the Lord ever since. Why? Because when the fire of God comes upon you, you don't walk, you run after the things of God for your life. You run after the things of God for your life. So I started running after the things of God for my life. Smith Wigglesworth says this about encountering the power of the Holy Spirit. He says that the power of God will take you out of your own plans and put you into the plan of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? First and foremost, the Holy Spirit turns biblical and theological concepts into experienced realities in our daily lives. Charles Spurgeon said this, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind, branches without sap, and we're like coals without fire. We are useless. 
A.W. Tozer said, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Wayne Grudem says this, the Holy Spirit's role is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So what happened to believers at the day of Pentecost? What happened on the day of Pentecost? They encountered the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a real and personal way. Now we know that they had already encountered the Holy Spirit before they had already encountered the power of Jesus. But here on the day of Pentecost, we see an encounter with the power and presence of God that was more intense and real and tangible than anything that they had experienced before. It's important for us to know at this point that the omnipresence of God and the direct presence of God are two different things. The omnipresence of God and the direct presence of God are two different things. See, one thing that we could ask ourselves is, hey, what does it mean to encounter the presence of God? Doesn't everyone encounter the presence of God? Isn't God everywhere? Yes, the truth is that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. He is all around us. But we also see through all the way throughout the Bible in Chapters like Exodus chapter 3, where when Moses had an encounter with the Spirit of God, with a burning bush, with the fire of God, that was different to the everyday presence of God that he had encountered before. We also know that there was a woman with an issue of blood in the Gospels that reached out and grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus turns around and he said, who touched me? They're like, what do you mean, who touched you? He says, someone touched me because I perceived power went out of me. We also know in the Gospels that it talks about the power of God being present to heal people. There is a difference between the omnipresence of God and even the indwelling presence of God, the regenerating presence of God, and that direct, manifest, tangible presence of God. You know, one way that scholars describe this difference is through using the analogy of light. They use this analogy of light to describe the intensification of the presence of God from omnipresence all the way through to direct presence. And the way that they explain it is that, hey, if there were windows all around this building tonight, if there were windows instead of walls, and it was in the middle of the day and we opened up the blinds, the sun, the light of the sun would come in and illuminate and light up every part of the room. We would have light touching us and light warming us. The light would be there, just like the omnipresence of God, the everywhere presence of God is there in the world doing his work. We can recognize the presence of God in that way. But then they say the difference is that instead of sunlight, if you were to get a laser beam, a very powerful laser beam. Now, don't worry, this is not an illustrated sermon. I don't have this powerful laser beam tonight, so don't call triple zero, sir. It's all good. Uh, But if I had an incredibly intense and powerful laser beam that like cut off people's arms uh, and could cut through this pulpit, cut through steel, then that intense, powerful laser beam is a different expression of light. It is still light, but the intensity and the potency and the power that it has to change and transform things is completely different to the omnipresent sunlight that we have on the other side of the spectrum. 
So in this place tonight, we are believing for an encounter with the power and presence of God that is not just the everyday presence of God that we encounter in the world. We are believing each and every one of us to have an encounter with the manifest, tangible, powerful, potent power of God in this place tonight. The kind of power of God that can save and set free and break addictions off people's lives. The kind of power of God that can heal people. The weight of his glory coming upon us in an intense and life-transforming way tonight. There is a difference between the omnipresence and the direct presence of God. So why do we need to encounter this direct presence of God? Why did the disciples, why did those who were believers in the upper room need to encounter the presence of God on the day of Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2, we know that everyone was gathered, 120 of the believers were gathered in an upper room. They were in a prayer meeting. They were believing for the presence of God to fall. They had been told in the book of Luke, Jesus had said to them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I want you to wait for the wait. I want you to wait for the weight of my glory to come upon you. I want you to wait for the weight of my power and my presence to come and dwell upon you and dwell within you. Because without this weight, you can't do anything. You can't accomplish anything without the weight of my glory. So they were waiting for the weight. And as they were waiting for the weight, we know the story. We read it just a moment ago. The presence of God comes in. The Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind. The Bible says tongues of fire were on each one of their heads. Every single one of them encountered the power and presence of the Holy Spirit personally. And the question on everybody's lips in that place, not just in the upper room, but everyone around them, the question on the disciples' lips, the question on the crowd's lips, the question on the trolls' and the mockers' lips, The question on everybody's lips was, what the heck just happened? What just happened? Peter gets up and he tells them, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was prophesied. This is that which was spoken about in the days of old. Peter was basically saying to everybody as he got up, he was saying, this is what we have been waiting for. This is what we have been waiting for. What had they been waiting for? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were waiting for the power and the presence of God to come and fill them. Now, my message tonight is called Pentecost, the prequel. Pentecost, the prequel. Prequels in a movie series, they tell us the backstory. You know, they tell us the prehistory. They give us the story about what came before the events and the story that is going on right now. They help us make sense of later events and different things that happen in the future. When we see the prequel, we are able to connect with and understand the significance of the sequel on a deeper level. And friend, I would like to submit to you tonight that if we want to connect in our daily lives today 
with the power and presence of what happened on the day of Pentecost, if we want to connect with what happened and the significance of what it means for us today, then we need to know what happened in the prequel. We need to turn our eyes to see what was it that the presence of God and the power of God did among his people before the day of Pentecost. We know on the day of Pentecost, the believers became temples of the manifest power and presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 to 17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 6 and verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21 to 22 says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what does the prequel what does the Bible story, the biblical story of temples and tabernacles and the presence of God dwelling with his people tell us about what happened on the day of Pentecost when believers not only became carriers of the indwelling presence of God, but when believers became carriers of the tangible manifest power and presence of God in their lives, when they became the keepers of the flame, in the world today, what does the prequel tell us about this? Well, the prequel tells us that the temple and the tabernacle in the biblical story is the residence of God. It is where God dwells. It is where God lives. This stresses the presence of God on the temple. On the day of Pentecost, the power and presence of God came to reside on the inside of every person. The second thing that we learn about the temple and the tabernacle is that it is the place where God rules and reigns as king, which stresses his power and his sovereignty. So when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, when the power and presence of God comes upon us and we are temples that carry the manifest power and presence of God, God is ruling and reigning as king in and through our lives. He is establishing his kingdom come here on earth through the believers who have been filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we learn about the temples and tabernacles that teach us about what happens on the day of Pentecost is that because God dwells in the temple, the tabernacle or the temple is holy, which stresses God's holiness in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit comes and he makes us holy. And the fourth thing that we learn from temples and tabernacles is that it is a place where we can approach God, where we can worship him, which stresses his desire to come and encounter us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder tonight if we understand the significance of what we carry. Do we truly know what it means to carry the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit into our daily lives, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our universities? Do we truly know what it is that we carry tonight? You know, when you go to a foreign country, as you are entering that foreign country, you have to pass through what's called customs and immigration. 
And as you pass through customs and immigration in foreign countries, usually a question that they would typically ask you is, do you know what's in your bags today? You're supposed to know what you're carrying into the foreign land. You're supposed to know what you're carrying into the foreign country. You know what? The Bible says that we are citizens of heaven, that we are foreigners and strangers on earth. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? Because Jesus wanted to make sure that we knew what we were carrying into this foreign land, that we as citizens of heaven would know the power and the presence of God that we carry into this place that God has called us. Do we know what we carry tonight? I want to look at four things that the prequel teaches us about the power and presence of God that we carry. The first thing that we learn from the presence of God dwelling with his people throughout the biblical story is that the presence of God is holy. The presence of God is holy. Therefore, the insight that this gives us into the power of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit makes us holy. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. In Exodus chapter 3, we see that Moses has an encounter with God at the burning bush. And as he has this encounter with God at the burning bush, God says to Moses, Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you are is holy ground. Now, the reason why that place was holy ground was because the presence of God had come to dwell there. What made that place holy was the presence of God dwelling within it. Do you know what? In the same way today, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and when the Holy Spirit begins to fill us, He makes us holy because He is holy. He makes us holy as He is holy. And that means that as we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to stay stuck trapped in a cycle of sin and shame and feeling distant from God and sin and shame and feeling distant from God and sin and shame and feeling distant from God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who comes to make us holy. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the devil tries to get the power of the Holy Spirit out of the church and out of the lives of believers because he knows that the power of the Holy Spirit is the thing that has the power to set you free from the curse of sin and death. It has the power to set you free from the sin and the weight of shame, to set you free from the things that the enemy is trying to do in your life. And so tonight, as we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, there might be people in this room tonight and you feel yourself just continually falling into that cycle of sin and shame and feeling distant from God and sin and shame and feeling distant from God. Tonight, as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I believe that you'll be set free as you know that He is making you holy as He is holy. The second thing that we learn from the prequel about the power and the presence of God is that the presence of God is relational. The presence of God is relational. The insight that this gives us into the power of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit takes us deeper. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. The Holy Spirit takes us deeper. The Holy Spirit takes us deeper. The picture that we see of the relational presence of God in the biblical story is in the tabernacle, they had what was called the table of the bread of the presence. 
Now, this was sort of a typical idea of um, temples at the time in this sort of ancient time period. People would have temples and, and they would have food in their temples to feed their gods. But when we look at the table of the showbread, the bread of the presence, it's not specifically there just to feed our God. How many know that God is not dependent on us, that he doesn't need us to feed him? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's steak tonight. You know, if God wants it, he's eating the steak tonight. He doesn't need us to feed him. But the picture that we get in this table of showbread, this table of the bread of the presence, is a God who wants to come and eat with us. A God who wants to come and relate to us, who wants to share a meal with us, God with us. We saw this all throughout the story of Jesus in the New Testament as well, that Jesus would come and he would cook for the disciples. Jesus, um, you know, his, his signature meal seems to be fish and bread, right? I don't know what I would do if Jesus was cooking for me tonight. I'd be like, thanks, Jesus, I already ate. You know, I don't want fish and bread, you know? <laughs> But Jesus came and he would relate to the people and he would sit with them and he would share a meal with them. The insight that this gives us into the power of Pentecost and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that the power of the Holy Spirit is relational, that he wants to come and take us deeper. He wants, us, he wants to take us into a more deep and intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. He wants the presence of God to make the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God known to us in our lives as we draw closer to Him. The third thing that we learn about the presence of God through the prequel is that the presence of God is recognizable. The presence of God is recognizable. The insight that this gives us into the power of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit comes and marks us. He marks us with the anointing oil of His presence. Now, in the biblical story of the presence of God with his people and the temples and the tabernacles, we had what was called the anointing oil. And this anointing oil, God gives instructions for in the Old Testament. And he says, when you use this anointing oil, use it on the priests, use it on every item in the tabernacle and the temple. But no one else is to replicate the formula that you're using for this anointing oil. Nobody else is allowed to put these same ingredients to make the same fragrance or the same perfume out of the anointing oil. This is separated to my presence. This is only for my presence. So they would know anytime they would smell that particular smell, anytime that they would encounter that fragrance, they knew that that fragrance can only come from the presence of God. That fragrance can only come from the anointing oil. Do you know what I want to submit to you tonight? That as we get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, He brings a marked presence of God on our lives. He marks us with the anointing oil of heaven. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we are marked with His presence and His power. We are marked with His anointing for everything that God has called us to do. We are marked by His anointing tonight. We need His anointing on everything that we do. And the recognizable sign that we see on the day of Pentecost is that every single believer began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them the utter utterance, as the Spirit enabled them. It was a recognizable sign that they had been in the presence of God, that they had encountered the power of God. This is the initial recognizable sign that the baptism comes with tongues. 
Now, if you wanted to buy some new Nikes tomorrow, you could go to the store. You wouldn't have to buy tongues separately. No, the shoes come with tongues. They're not sold separately. In the same way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it comes with tongues. It's not sold separately. You don't have to wait and clench your fists and clench your mouth and try to just... No, you can just flow. Let it flow. Let the Holy Spirit come and speak. It's not sold separately. It comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth and final thing, maybe if the worship team could join me, the presence of God in the prequel teaches us is that the presence of God is powerful. The presence of God is powerful. The insight that this gives us into the power of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit comes to empower us. You know, we see all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that when the power of God came, it came with signs and wonders. It came as fire or lightning or clouds. We saw the spectacular presence of God as the power of God came and dwelled on the mountain or the tabernacle. We saw the power of God would rest in these places. And in the temple, we see that the priests would come in and they couldn't even stand under the weight of the glory of God. So powerful was the weight of his presence. We also see on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit comes and empowers Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we see very ironically that Peter gets up and he starts to declare to the people of God what God is doing in that moment. Now, Peter is called by God to be the leader of the church, the leader of the first church in this time period. And the fundamental foundational thing that Peter needs to be able to fulfill his calling is he needs to be able to sense what God is doing, what God is saying, and articulate it to the people. He needs to be able to sense what God is doing and articulate it to the people to lead the people. I say it's ironic because every moment that he had to do this, up until his time at Pentecost, every moment that he had the opportunity to sense what God was doing and articulate it to the people, he missed it. He missed it every single time. We see one time Jesus is telling Peter, he's like, I'm gonna go to the cross and I'm gonna die. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I will never let you do that. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's a bad day when Jesus the Lord is calling you Satan. You're like, oh, maybe I'm not called to lead the church if Jesus thinks I'm Satan, you know? We see another time that he was on a mountain and the transfiguration of Jesus that he encounters, the power of God. He's like, what the heck just happened? And he says, maybe we should build some altars, God. What what do you think? And the Bible literally says that he said this because he had no idea what to say. He couldn't recognise what God was doing. Even worse, as Jesus was about to get to the cross, we see that Peter is standing with Jesus and there is a person in front of him who is coming to arrest Jesus. Jesus is letting it happen because he he knows that this is part of his plan and purpose and will. And Peter, not being able to tell what God is doing, sense what God is doing and articulate it and roll with it, cuts the guy's ear off with a sword. 
Even worse than that, it gets worse for Peter. He ends up totally denying Jesus because he doesn't realise what Jesus is doing when he goes to the cross to die for our sins. He doesn't realise this is the whole purpose for which he came. He doesn't realise what's going on. But on the day of Pentecost, as he is filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as he is baptised in the power of God, we see Peter. He gets up, the same Peter that was denying Christ only a few weeks earlier to a small girl. Peter gets up in front of a crowd of 3,000 people and he begins to prophesy, prophesy. He begins to articulate what God is doing and he leads the people. And 3,000 people on that day get saved by the message that Peter shares by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we cannot fulfill the calling that God has for us without the power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I believe every one of us, no matter what it is that God has called you to do, God wants to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to anoint you for the calling that He has for you. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, I'll finish with this. It says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, when Jesus spoke that when He was in Jerusalem, He said that one of the places that are the ends of the earth, one of the furthest most points in the world from where Jesus was speaking is a little town called Palmerston, North New Zealand, where my family got saved. I'm so thankful that from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, There were people on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 who got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, baptised with the fire of God, who took the power of God from century to century, from city to city, from nation to nation, until what they were carrying reached the ends of the earth. Because one day in 1995, in a little city called Palmerston, North New Zealand, the power of God came into my house. 27 years ago, I was five years old and I shared before, my dad is Persian, my mum is Irish. And my dad grew up Muslim. My mum converted to Islam to marry my dad. They got married in England and I was born in England. We moved to New Zealand when I was two. My brother and my sister were born And by the time I was five years old, we actually had my auntie, my dad's sister, coming to live with us in our small house in New Zealand. We didn't realise at the time, but my auntie was actually schizophrenic. And so you can imagine the kind of chaos that ensued in our home. I remember that my auntie would threaten to kill my dad and it was just hectic. My dad uh, was off studying. He was uh, training to become a professor. And so as he was training to do that, he would always be outside of the home. And mum was stuck at home with us three kids and this lady who had mental health issues, she was schizophrenic. So one day my mum just lost it. She said, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm gonna do. She went to my dad and she said, I don't know what we need to do, but we need to get this lady out of our house. My dad was like, I don't know what we can do. We didn't have much money. He's like, I can't just kick her out on the streets. I really don't know what to do. And so my mum said, that's it. 
I'm going, I'm taking the kids with me. And so we ended up going and living in a women's and children's shelter for a period of time with my mum. I remember our lives being so broken. I remember us being so poor that we would be living in a house with multiple other families and all the families just sharing one bit, one bed. They would share a bed, a queen size bed. I remember going to the op shop to pick out toys for Christmas that were a couple of bucks because we couldn't afford anything else. And I remember people would come over to our house and they would start to talk to my mom about the situation she was going through. All sorts of voices, all sorts of people. I didn't really remember what was going on. I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew that something was wrong. I knew it because my mum was always sad and she was crying with these people. So these people would talk to her and we didn't know at the time, but there was actually a Pentecostal church. And parents of my friends from school went to a life group together. And these people in this life group, we had no idea at the time they began praying for me and my family. We also had a lady who lived down the road from us who went to this same church. And I remember one day, this lady comes over to our house and she shares the gospel with my mum. She said, hey, I know your life feels like it's a mess right now. I know that everything feels like it's broken and it's falling apart. But I believe that if you would give your life to Jesus, He will make something beautiful out of this mess. He has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And if you would trust Him with your life, you'll never regret it. So my mom, with tears streaming down her face, she ends up giving her life to Jesus. She gets radically saved. She gets baptised in these people's bathtub, which is a bit unconventional. I don't recommend it. She moves back in with my dad. My dad started going along to church with my mum and eventually ended up getting saved as well. I'm so thankful for the people in that life group who carried the presence and the power of God into our lives through prayer. I'm so thankful for the neighbour who lived down the road, who carried the presence of God into our neighbourhood, into our street, into our home and into my little five-year-old life. Because on that day, everything changed. Everything was different from that moment until this moment. And friend, you might be in this room tonight. You say, Layla, I don't know what it is to have Jesus in my life. I don't know what it is to have my sin washed away. I feel distant from God tonight, then right now in this moment, I believe that God can come in and He can do what He did in my mum's life, in my dad's life, in our lives, in my life. He can change you and set you free. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, 
turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.